We can keep Philippians chapter 2 verses 19 to 30 before you as we come to study them together this evening. And we're thinking tonight about a few good men. A few good men. D.A. Carson has said Christian character is as much caught as taught. That our growth as Christians, our our growth in grace, our our, uh, going on in the Christian faith, it's as much sometimes to do with learning from the example of other Christians as it is from reading God's word. I know that during my years involved in our summer camps, as some of you have been involved in similar camps, one of the things we always try to remind ourselves of as leaders is that uh, the campers will be watching you and learning from you, not just when you're up at the front giving a Bible talk, but when you're eating a meal with them, when you're driving in the car, when you're talking to them more casually. <coughs> Those are all moments in which they'll be watching and hopefully learning good things uh, from your Christian character. It's also why those who train for gospel ministry in our own denomination and in other denominations as well, they, they spend considerable time in their years of training on placement with experienced pastors to learn from them. And not just to learn from their sermons, but to perhaps learn from their prayers, their, their visits to, to members, even from the time they spend with their own family. A Christian character is as much caught as taught. So far in Philippians chapter 2, as, as we mentioned already, Paul has been commanding the Philippian believers to live in humility, uh, to have a concern for one another, to maintain the unity of their church. He's given them, of course, the supreme example of these things in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've, we've thought about those precious verses, verses 5 to 11, in previous weeks. Uh, and to perhaps bring home that teaching even further, we, we thought last week about verses 12 to 18. But to flesh this out even more, to drive the point home, as well as giving them the perfect example of Christ, Paul now gives them the godly example of two men that the Philippians would have known personally. Men who in some ways were were part of their church. Uh, and, And Paul holds up the example of these two men as examples that the Philippians would do well to look at and learn from. And imitate. He gives them the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy and Epaphroditus, men who were known personally to the Philippian congregation. Now we might not know these men personally, but we're we're told a lot about them here in this passage. And perhaps as we read about them already, or as we think about them now, they'll remind us of people that we do know, people that perhaps we respect and look up to whose example we should seek to imitate ourselves if our desire is to grow in likeness to the Lord Jesus Christ and and, and to grow in love for him. And so we want to think this evening about what it is that Paul has to say about these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, in verses 19 to 30. A couple of good men that Paul highlights to the Philippians. We think first of all then, we're just going to take each of the men in turn. We think first of all tonight about the example of Timothy. The example of Timothy. Timothy's name is mentioned 26 times in the New Testament. He was one of Paul's closest companions. He seems to have been Paul's apprentice in ministry, so to speak. 
Paul met Timothy, as we read earlier, during his second missionary journey in a place called Lystra. And whatever was about Timothy, just perhaps a, a real passion for his faith, <coughs> it seems that Paul took to Timothy very quickly and, and immediately was very keen uh, that he come along with him. Uh, and, and Timothy already had this reputation of being well thought of by the believers in his church when Paul met him. And so he begins to travel with Paul and he was in fact travelling with Paul when Paul got the call from the Holy Spirit to begin ministering in Macedonia, which was the, the wider regions, part of what we know as Greece today, and within that region, the city of Philippi. So Timothy would have turned up in Philippi with Paul when he first arrived there. A few things to highlight about Timothy uh, that Paul highlights here about him. Firstly, we note Timothy's unique strength. Timothy's unique strength. There was something as far as Paul was concerned that Timothy had that he, he didn't see to the same extent in anyone else. What was that? Well, look at verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Paul says he is planning to send Timothy soon. He isn't going to send him just yet. We'll see why in a moment. But when he, when he does send Timothy, uh, look at the reason he gives. Uh, again, verse 20, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Paul says there is no one who looks at the church with the same level of interest and concern and compassion as he does, except maybe for Timothy. There was a, a like-mindedness between Paul and Timothy when it came to the church. They looked at the church and cared about the church in the same way. We sometimes talk today about two people uh, being in sync. You know, they, they're just such a, a great team. Maybe it's a married couple, maybe two comedians who have rehearsed their act so many times that uh, they almost know each other's thoughts, two singers in perfect harmony, uh, whatever it may be. Two, two people who just connect, they, they click, they're on the same wavelength. Well, that was the case for Paul and Timothy. And Paul here, having written, <coughs> having written his letter to the Philippians, he wants to know exactly what's going on with them. He wants... Uh, the most accurate, reliable report he can get of what is happening in Philippi. Are they growing in grace? How are they going to respond to this letter that Paul has sent? Are they making the efforts that Paul wants them to make to maintain their unity and their witness? And to get a reliable report, Paul will send Timothy because no one else cares about the church or indeed about Paul more than Timothy. And it's interesting, friends, that this was what Paul valued in Timothy, we, it seems, more than any of his gifts. You can read Paul's letters to Timothy, of course, further on in the Bible. And those letters, and what we see in the book of Acts as well, they suggest that Timothy could well have been a very gifted young man, maybe a very gifted preacher, maybe a, an up-and-coming theologian. But what mattered to Paul more than those things was the loving concern the pastoral heart and compassion that Timothy had 
for the church. That was his unique strength as far as Paul was concerned. I have no one like him. And following on from that, uh, Paul also talks about Timothy's proven worth. His proven worth. He says in verse 22 that Timothy served alongside Paul as as a son with a father. As a son with a father. Boys and girls, maybe sometimes you, you help mum and dad. Maybe you help mum or dad with different jobs at home. Maybe, uh, maybe you enjoy, I don't know, cutting the grass. Maybe you enjoy painting a wall if a wall needs painted. Maybe uh, you, you help them tidy up. You probably don't maybe enjoy tidying up, but you do it when you're told to do it, I hope. And so you know what it is to, to work alongside mum or dad. Well, in Paul's world, in the ancient world, uh, sons almost always ended up doing whatever it was their fathers had done. If the father was a blacksmith, the son was a blacksmith. If the father kept vineyards, the son would keep vineyards and so on. And that was, as a matter of course, if you were born to a blacksmith, you became a blacksmith. But Paul says that Timothy has been like a son, learning his trade from his spiritual father, Paul. And of course, that speaks to the, the, the closeness, the special relationship that these two men had. Timothy was not just a colleague in the ministry. He was a spiritual son to Paul. Paul says that Timothy has proven his worth. By this time, Paul has known Timothy for several years. He's perhaps seen him in various situations. He has purposefully given Timothy opportunities to test his gifts. Perhaps to learn even from Paul's mistakes. To to see Timothy mature in his faith. And this is why Paul can now trust Timothy with such an important task of, of carrying out a pastoral visitation, so to speak, to the Philippian church. And bringing back an accurate report to Paul. <clears throat> But Paul isn't going to send Timothy just yet. He mentions this a few times. He says, I hope in the Lord, verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Uh, And notice there, just in passing, uh, Paul submitting to God's sovereignty. Uh, He says in verse 23 again, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I will see how it will go with me. Uh, And I trust in the Lord, he says, that shortly I myself, verse 24, will come also. So Paul submits here to God's sovereignty. Uh, What he's saying is that there are things going on with him in Rome that he would prefer to have Timothy there with him to see how they pan out. Possibly he's thinking about his trial before the Roman emperor. Remember, that's why he's in Rome. He's a, he's a, a prisoner in Rome because of the events at the end of Acts. Uh, and he maybe just needs, he, he really feels he needs the companionship and the fellowship of Timothy. Uh, perhaps especially in case the outcome of his case is particularly severe. We know as well that, that Paul faced uh, a degree of frustration or opposition or testing from, from, from selfish conceited rivals in Rome. And um, we thought about that back in chapter 1 that there are people preaching the gospel but not doing it out of pure motives. They're doing it to sort of get up Paul or, or in the course of preaching the gospel, they're perhaps attacking Paul's reputation. And so again, he, he needs the company and assurance and encouragement of Timothy with him. 
And so again, friends, this means that Timothy has proven himself to Paul. And when he says there in verse 24 that Timothy has served alongside him, it's the same root word that we find back in chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, Paul and Timothy, verse 1, slaves of Christ Jesus. So Timothy, if you like, has been at the cool face, friends, along with Paul. Paul's identity was bound up with the service and glory of Jesus Christ. So was Timothy's. Paul had sacrificed comfort and reputation and an easier life (coughs) to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So had Timothy. They were slaves of Christ together. They had served the church together. They were a father and a son in the faith. So Timothy had a unique strength and Timothy had proven worth. And friends, it's men and women like this that we should pray that we are ourselves in the church of Jesus Christ. And that we should pray that God provides for the church of Jesus Christ. We need young people who are willing to humbly learn from those who are older. And young people here this evening, you should pick out someone you know of who is older. Either here in the congregation, in your own family. Maybe a Christian from long ago, a missionary hero that you look up to and would aspire to be like. And you should spend time with that person and you should learn from them and they should, you should ask them about their experiences in the Christian faith so that you can be like them in serving Christ faithfully in the future. Some of you pray regularly and faithfully for more men for the gospel ministry, uh, for this denomination and perhaps for other denominations as well. And, and so we should pray for that. What sort of men do we want for that role? Well, regardless of gifts, great or small, we should pray for men who have the same unique strength that Timothy had. Men who are full of compassion for the church of Jesus Christ. That's what we want of men in any position of leadership in the local church. A man can have a great gift for preaching, but if he doesn't have love, as Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 13, he's no use. And the Christian, the wider Christian culture, and particularly in the Western world, too many times in recent years has lauded and applauded particular individuals for their apparent giftedness. People who were then exposed and ashamed later for their selfishness and, and for even sexual or financial impropriety. Jesus died for his church. And so the least his church deserves is leaders who love her with a Christ-like compassion. As well as that, from what Paul says here about Timothy, we see the need for Christians to prove their love and their gifts over time. And again, young people, there's a special word for you here because Timothy himself was a young man. We're not to think that service to Jesus Christ is, is just one big dramatic thing that we do one time. Sometimes service to Jesus does involve a one-off event. Maybe we take part in a mission trip to a foreign country, for example. But as believers in the church, we need to be proving our worth to the church in the ordinary, week-to-week, undramatic ways as well. Showing compassion even to our younger children when you become their leaders in Sabbath school or CY. 
visiting elderly loved ones, working hard in your place of study or employment. You, you prove your worth in all those so-called little ways, those ordinary ways that matter in God's sight. Christian writer called Fred Craddock has said, we, we, think, we often think that giving our all to the Lord is like taking a thousand dollar bill and laying it on the table. Here's my life, Lord, I'm giving it all. But the reality for most of us is that he sends us to the bank and has us cash in the thousand dollars for quarters. Sorry about the Americanisms. We go through life putting out 25 cents here, 50 cents there. Go to a committee meeting. Give a cup of cold water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. Usually giving our life to Christ is not glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. That was Timothy. Slaving alongside Paul. Proving his worth. And most importantly, full of compassion for the church of Jesus Christ. And so whatever your ministry Timothy and others like him are wonderful examples to follow. So the example of Timothy and, and then also uh, this evening we have the example of Epaphroditus. The example of Epaphroditus. Uh, the Philippians had sent Epaphroditus to Paul when they heard that Paul was a prisoner in Rome. We know that because of what Paul says here. We'll think more about it in a moment in chapter 2. Also from chapter 4, verse 18, Paul says there, I have received full payment and more, that is full payment from the Philippians. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. So Epaphroditus had come on a mission from Philippi to Paul in Rome. Paul isn't going to send Timothy to the Philippians. That might have been their, their first choice. But instead, he is going to send Epaphroditus back to them to minister to them. And Paul commends Epaphroditus, in a sense, just as highly as Timothy. A few things to, to draw your attention to about Epaphroditus. First of all, notice how Epaphroditus is described. Uh, how he is described, verse 25. Paul describes him as my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. So he described Timothy as his son in the faith. He describes Epaphroditus as his brother. Possibly that means Epaphroditus was closer in age to Paul than Timothy was. But again, a, a, a word of, of familial closeness and of a close bond between them. And that is that speaks, friends, to the power of the gospel that, that Paul spoke of Epaphroditus that way. Uh, the name Epaphroditus comes from the Greek word for Aphrodite, one of the mythical Greek goddesses. And so quite possibly, well, more than likely, Epaphroditus came originally from a pagan family, from perhaps worshippers of Aphrodite. Entirely the opposite background of Paul, the proud Jewish Pharisee, the Hebrew of Hebrews. Before he became a Christian, Paul would have wanted nothing to do with someone like Epaphroditus. A filthy dog, a dirty Gentile was how the Jews would have spoken of him. And now Paul calls Epaphroditus his brother. Describes him as well as his fellow worker and fellow soldier. Those are some of Paul's favourite descriptions of Christians. 
We've seen him already earlier on in the, in the letter to the Philippians using that sort of military language to describe the Christian life. And so Paul views Epaphroditus. We don't know whether he was a, <coughs> an office bearer in the church or not, but Paul describes him as a soldier standing side by side with Paul on the battlefield. He also describes Epaphroditus as someone who ministered to Paul at a time of need. How had Epaphroditus ministered to Paul? Simply by coming to see him and bringing with him the material gifts that the Philippians had provided. In some ways a very simple task, although obviously travel in those days was a lot more of a challenge. But in doing it, friends, Epaphroditus had provided a tremendous encouragement to Paul. And there's a way that any of us doesn't matter what your gifts are, whether you think you have a lot of gifts or very few gifts. There's a simple ministry that any of us can perform for anyone else at any time. Epaphroditus was a brother. He was a fellow worker, a soldier, a messenger, a minister. We want to see also how much Epaphroditus sacrificed. How much Epaphroditus sacrificed. If you look at verse 26... Paul says, he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. What seems to have happened is that Epaphroditus had set out on his journey to go to Rome to see Paul, carrying with him the financial or practical practical gifts that the Philippians had provided. On his way to Rome, Epaphroditus had fallen seriously ill. Paul says he nearly died. But rather than stop where he was or perhaps turn back for Philippi, Epaphroditus had been determined to press on, to finish his task. Look at verse 30. He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. What he means there, lacking in your service, just means the things that Paul had been waiting on and hoping, hoping on that, that the Philippians would provide. Epaphroditus had been determined to get to Paul and to give to Paul the things that uh, the Philippians had promised to send him. To give him the great encouragement of his visit. Epaphroditus nearly died doing that. Serving his brother in Christ. He'd arrived in Rome, it seems, seriously ill. Somehow word had got back to the Philippians about this, that he was sick. Most likely he wasn't travelling alone, particularly if he was bringing a financial gift to Paul. And so maybe someone went back to Philippi to tell them about this. And so now Paul needs to give them an update and let them know Epaphroditus has recovered. Notice, by the way, verse 26. He has been longing for you all. He has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So here's Epaphroditus. He's the, Epaphroditus is the one who was sick. But he's concerned that the Philippians not get too concerned about him. Uh, maybe some of us can think of people who remind us of, of that kind of attitude. That they don't want anyone making a fuss. They, they don't want anyone getting too distressed. And Epaphroditus is concerned that the Philippians would would not get overly anxious about him. And so it's like Epaphroditus is saying to Paul, have you written that letter yet? Have you let them know? Have you got your letter sent to tell them that I'm okay? I don't want them getting upset. I'm all right. 
The word distress there is very strong. It's actually only used one other time in the New Testament. And that's to describe the distress of Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mark 14 verse 33, he began to be distressed and troubled. Speaking of deep anxiety, even perhaps affecting your physical or emotional health. That's how much Epaphroditus cared about the Philippians. He didn't want them getting the wrong end of the stick. And this is also how much he cared about Paul. He had risked his life to minister to Paul. Again, why is Paul taking the time in his letter to talk about these men and what they've done? It's because, friends, he is giving them and he's giving us good examples of what it means to live with the humility and servant-hearted attitude of Jesus Christ. Paul told us earlier in chapter 2 to shine as stars in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. This is how we shine as stars. He told us to pour ourselves out. Timothy and Epaphroditus poured themselves out. (coughs) So Paul wants the Philippians to know how much Epaphroditus had sacrificed. Last thing to notice about Epaphroditus is how he was to be welcomed. How Epaphroditus was to be welcomed. And it's no surprise that we find Paul commanding the Philippians in verse 29. Receive him or welcome him in the Lord with all joy and honour such men. Paul says when Epaphroditus gets back to Philippi. You make sure you have a good welcome ready for him. Have the kettle boiling. Have a nice plate of food ready for him. And whatever it might be. Make sure you give him a good welcome. Honour him. Honour anyone who makes the kinds of sacrifices that Epaphroditus has made. Remember what Jesus taught about the places of honour? The first will be last, the last first. The greatest place of honour is for the servant who has carried out the lowliest service, the most humble, self-sacrificial service. Epaphroditus had only, quote, been the messenger man, the courier, the one who carried the stuff to Paul but he did it gladly and self-sacrificially and so when he gets back to Philippi he's to be honoured and so friends here Paul shows us how practical and down to earth the teaching of this letter really is what does it mean to to strive side by side in the ministry what does it mean to shine as lights what does it mean to not count others less significant than yourself Well, it means the sorts of things that Timothy and Epaphroditus were doing. Here are a few good men, two model believers who show us what it is to love and serve in the church of Christ. And you'll notice again that the theme word of the letter is used by Paul in verse 28. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again. There's that word again. We see it all throughout the book of Philippians. Joy, rejoice. True joy is found in service. Someone has summed up joy this way. J for Jesus. O for others. Y for yourself. And by God's grace that is to be our mindset and attitude in the family, in the church, in the community. Jesus first. Others second. Yourself last. 
That sums up the lives of uh, the lives and ministries of Timothy and Epaphroditus. <coughs> what they were doing was very ordinary, very simple when you boil it down, but it was important. And Paul says, honour such men. Because when the money is being counted or carried in the name of Jesus, when the children are being given a fun afternoon or taught from the Bible in the name of Jesus, when elderly or sick saints are being visited in the name of Jesus, or when the name of Jesus is being preached in the pulpit or in the public square, all of it is important and praiseworthy and honourable. One writer says, The church has always been sustained, enriched and built up by unsung heroes. I've said before, I'm very thankful to be part of a denomination that so highly honours the position of pastors and preachers. Uh, Everything from the the training provided uh, at no cost to our students to uh, the the honour and respect and love that is shown uh, across our denomination for the pulpit. But friends, you do not ever have to set foot in a pulpit to be worthy of high honour in the church of Jesus Christ. The church needs more unsung heroes, more Timothys and Epaphroditus's willing to roll up their sleeves and say, what can I do? And so whether you are hoovering the church carpet or representing the church on the mission field, you are a fellow worker, a fellow soldier in the church of Christ. And it would be remiss of me before we finish not to draw your attention back to chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. I told you last week it's the danger of breaking up our studies so much we, we lose perhaps Paul's train of thought. But all of this flows out of what Paul said in verses 5 to 11 because neither Paul nor Timothy nor Epaphroditus, none of them were perfect men. And as we saw this morning with Abraham, none of us men and women are perfect either. But they did what they did out of love for the perfect servant, the perfect saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who humbled himself, was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. And if we believe in the death and resurrection of Christ, if we if we've put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to consider then, how do I serve the Lord Jesus Christ? What will I repay to him, as the psalmist says? For all the blessings he has shown to me. Will I show up when it's time for the church to pray? Will I give back a generous amount of the material good that he's given to me for the sake of his kingdom? Will I risk my life? Or at least my comfort and my ease? To see the gospel taken further afield? Or a missionary encouraged? Or a church well served? Remember Timothy, remember Epaphroditus, serve the same saviour they did with the same eagerness and joy. Amen.